Sasha. Hey, Courtney. How do ghosts get to school? I don't know. How do they get to school? By taking the ghoul bus. <laughs> In español? Hola, Sasha. Hola, Courtney. ¿Cómo van los fantasmas a la escuela? Uh, ¿Qué? An autobús. Estás Poop Hour. doing jokes in languages we speak right we, we should although that was fun that was that was really fun welcome back to spoop hour neither of us speak spanish we're doing our best we're doing our best and it's <laughs> funny because you're half mexican I and am. my last name is spanish yes my it's the bane of my grandmother's existence that i don't speak spanish my, the i guess dentist or hygienist who did my x-rays on thursday yeah. at the dentist was like oh your last name oh. is spanish and i was like oh, yeah. I'm Japanese. Yeah. We actually... Like, I don't know how to explain this to you. This has been Genealogy Hour. Which is a totally <laughs> appropriate topic for a paranormal comedy podcast, because that's what we are. So you can find us on the internet at Spoop Hour, S-P-O-O-P as in panda, not K as in kangaroo. Los pandas. Los pandas. That's one of like four things I can say in Spanish. On Twitter and... Instagram, and yes. Instagram is where we give a lot of context to our posts. Yes. Twitter is where we just go to scream about things. Where we're just on fire on all the fire time. On fire all the time. And one then, of these days we're going to get a Facebook. Right? One of these days. One of these days. Because we're, we're coming up on our one year anniversary. That can be our, 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 our big thing. And you can always email us at spoophour at gmail.com. Did anything spooky happen to you this week? Not really, actually. Yeah. I had a pretty pretty spoopless existence this week. Which is rare for us. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since we started doing this podcast and we were cognizant of the spooky things that happened to us in the day-to-day. I did yeah. talk about spooky twin bullshit today at the brunch I went to. Mm-hmm. Because the topic of twins came out and I creeped everybody out by telling them about the silent twins where the one just dropped dead and they don't know why. Yeah. So, that's too much. Man. You know. <laughs> I, I guess two spookyish things happened to me. Uh, one is just silly spooky. I went to a coffee shop and got a lot of work done. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Slow down, crazy. For work, which is crazy. The other spooky thing that happened to me was last night. So my partner and I and our third mysterious roommate went to see Crazy Rich Asians without Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the first time they have done this. It's like they wait for a movie we all want to see and then they're like, let's see it when Courtney has plans. Well, and I so very rarely have plans. Well, and so, so this is the thing. Our roommate rarely has a day off, right? True. And then you rarely have plans, True. and yet somehow these coincide. Yeah. So when, just... when our roommate's like, I don't have plans, and I, here's this movie that I want to see. I'm like, well, I don't have plans either, or I can work, you know, like, yeah, I'll squeeze, you, squeeze in. you into the plans. Yeah. So, and then after, during the movie, there's a scene, this is not a spoiler, just like, because it's called Crazy Rich Asians, you can imagine. They're there's, crazy there's, rich? What? There's, there's a lot of food involved, and there's a scene where they make dumplings. <gasps> and I'm watching this, and I'm like, damn, I just want to eat all of those. They look so good. I do love dumplings. So there's, like, 
your pretty, you know, generic Chinese restaurant in the mall that served, you know, fried dumplings. Yeah. Those, those tend to be pretty good. They're very doughy and I like them. Yeah. But my partner was like, oh, my coworkers like district dumplings. And so we drove out of where we were to a completely different location. <laughs> A secondary location. Never go to a secondary, Never go location, to secondary location, location. I was genuinely thinking that, and then I was like, Courtney, if you make that joke, it makes it sound like you think her, her partner is going to murder her, right. which I don't. He, he's not. We wanted to try this particular store's yes, dumplings. Yes, and he wanted to murder you. Continue. Right. Well, while we're waiting in this long-ass line to get these dumplings, these two... He goes to the bathroom, and I'm by myself in line, and then... I guess, like, two other young guys come into the restaurant, and they're in line behind me, and I'm still looking at the menu, and I'm, like, checking my phone or whatever, and then mm-hmm. um, my partner comes back, and he and I are talking about dumplings, and then these two guys behind us are like, have you guys been here before? And we're like, no, this is our first time. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we're this is our first time, too. And, like, yeah, we just, you know, how did you find this place? And we're like, oh, you know, just, like, Yelp. And so they're, like, you know, shooting the shit, and, you know, one's talking to my partner, and the other one's talking to me. And the line starts moving, and I'm kind of like, okay, we gotta, like, move the line down, right? And then I see the Wi-Fi password for this thing is Sasha2018, so I'm like, (gasps) oh, ha, 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 the password is my name, right? It's Uh it's funny, right? And everyone went, ah, and then my partner kind of looks at me funny, like, I, like, couldn't read his, like, reaction at the moment. And then I'm, like, trying to get the line moved, and I'm like, oh, man, if you steam it, it's, like, 30, 45-minute wait. And then, like, the guys were just, like, kind of like, oh, well, you know, we don't... This is this is this has been fun, you know. Like we should do this sometime again yeah. sometime. And we were like, what? And they're like, we don't really have time to like wait for these dumplings, so we're just gonna get out of here. And we were like, um, okay. And then the one guy was like, so do you want to like exchange contact information? Like, should we do this again? Uh, and Jack and I like looked at each other and we we're like, are these dudes trying to murder you at the secondary no. location? Yeah. And so. I, like, as a young woman, this happened, it, I don't get picked up a lot, but I know, like, from these my friends, happen. like, these things happen, yes. right? And so I just, like, deflected, and I'm, you know, we're in a crowd of people, so I'm like, I, this is nothing, you know, sketchy is happening. But it, like, really weirded both yeah. of us out, like, ultimately, like, we, we just stood quietly and ordered our food, and, like, later on, oh. we're, like, still waiting for the food, and my partner's like, that was so scary. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's not fun. It's not fun. So, <laughs> st- I don't, I don't. I don't even know. know. I'm like still squicked out by yeah, it. I don't yeah, like right? that. I don't like it. I You're especially like, don't like. I would have been creeped out less if like they had gotten dumplings and been like, "Hey, do you mind if we sit with you since right. it's crowded or whatever?" But this that is like would a mind of less as an aggressive and four minute extrovert. But yeah. like, like, that's three four minutes in line, and then they wanted to get our contact information. That makes it sound like they're like scoping you out for some purpose, which I don't care for because they right. left without dumplings. Yeah. Why would you leave? Without why dumplings? would you leave without dumplings? Yeah. You went to a dumpling place. It was weird. But luckily, it did take us, like, 45 minutes for those dumplings because they had to, like, steam them and fry them and everything because they were, like, fresh made, basically. But, so, like, enough time had passed where the two of us were like, okay, we can walk outside of this restaurant and, like, go home. But there was definitely, like, 25, 30 minutes where the two of us were, like, deeply unsettled Uh, all night. I don't like that. So that was cool. I did think of something semi-spooky. I know Mm -hmm. I've talked about it on this podcast before, but in 2008, the Sci-Fi Channel released the Sci-Fi Channel original movie, Yeti. Oh, God. Subtitle, Curse of the Snow Demon. (laughs) And I was talking about this at the plans I had Saturday night. We went Mm -hmm. to a friend's house party, and I was talking about Yeti, colon, Curse of the Snow Demon. And I was explaining that this is, like, the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's it's just such a pile of hot garbage. And because I was talking about it, I was like, oh, I should should watch this thing. I haven't haven't watched it in ten years. And I Googled, because it wasn't on Amazon, so I could not purchase the DVD. 
But guess where it is, y'all? It's on YouTube, so you have no excuse. So my partner and I today watched Yeti, Curse of the Snow Demon, before we went to brunch. Good. It was Terrible. just as incredible as I remembered. It still featured the line, he survived for five days out there with two broken legs and you just shot him in the face. Oh, that movie! Yes! Okay, yeah, I need to yes. watch I need to rewatch it. It is for free. It is on the YouTube. Watch it. You'll be glad you did. It's so goddamn bad. It's so entertaining. Oh, you saw Searching this week, too. I did. That yeah, was actually also creepy. That was creepy. It made me want to call my mom. Yeah. But not in, like, a like I called my mom, and my mom was like, are you okay, sweetie? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I just wanted to call you because the movie's about, like, a dad and his daughter and being drifted apart because her mom died, and it's sad, and I just wanted to call my mommy. Oh. Yeah. That hap- that all happens in the first five I, minutes of the yeah, movie. That's I, not I, No, I know, but I just, I didn't realize that was it. Because I was watching the trailer, and I was like, where's the mom? Yeah, she... She passes away mm. in the first, like, five, ten minutes of the movie of lymphoma. Um. So that's that's sort of the pretense for... Because the basic premise of the movie, John Cho, fire of my loins, resident of my thirst pocket. Make that happen. Hashtag thirst pocket. It's a classy I'll, place I'll for you to keep your thirst thing. <laughs> and John Cho is the now single father mm-hmm. of a 15-year-old girl named Margot. Margot goes missing, and he realizes that she has this entire secret life that he doesn't know anything about. Yeah, the trailer that we saw before Crazy Rich Asians mm-hmm. was, I guess, like a differently cut one from the one that I had seen a while back. And yeah. Like, the one I had seen made me want to watch it, but I'm such a weenie that I, like, don't know that I can. I and you talk- went and saw it with... <laughs> with my work best friend, yes. <laughs> um, which I thought was really funny because yes. I got I, I suggested that you take her, yes. and then I didn't hear anything from you, and then I was talking to her oh, at I work, and she you. was like, "By the way, I'm going to a movie with Courtney." And I, was <laughs> I forgot like, to close that. Oh. <laughs> but but the trailer made I was like, "Oh wow, this yeah. is like real intense." It's very good. Mm-hmm. I will walk you through the entire film. I think yeah. you can handle it. The only thing I think you will have a hard time with is the dead mom stuff. Yeah, I know you have dead mom yeah. stuff. And my um, mom is alive, <laughs> but I record, have a lot of feelings about dead mom stuff. Yeah, if you like spoopy yeah. things, it is a good thriller, especially if you're kind of a weenie, mm-hmm. because they do this really good job. And I don't think this is spoilers, mm-hmm. but if if you're afraid of spoilers, probably skip ahead thirty seconds. So I'll go fast. Basically, they do this really good job of building, building, building tension, and then just defusing it a little oh, bit. Okay. So it's like they have a, it's like getting a deep mm, tissue massage, massage. Okay. where they like really dig in, really dig in, really dig in, let up a little bit, and it feels really yeah. good. So it's essentially that as a film. So okay. it like builds all this tension, builds all this tension, builds all this tension, yeah. takes it down another notch, builds all this tension, builds all this tension, builds all this, takes it down a notch. I did see, I did figure it out a little bit before the movie tells you what mm-hmm. happens, but that's just because I have a weird semi-eidetic memory. Yeah. And I leaned over to Julie and I was like, <laughs> and she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. So it was a good time. Yeah. It's very good. I highly, I, highly, I want, I really highly want recommend to see it. it. But I'll need, like, I know my partner wants to see it as well. Yes. Um, I would go see it again, honestly. Yeah. So I like, just... I'm the kind of person, like, when I watch suspenseful movies, like, if I have the Wikipedia page for searching, read through it before I go see it. Yeah. It's not, like, a spoiler thing for me. It's just more of, like, making sure that I know where it's going. Yeah. And I, again, I'm glad I can happily do that for you. Mm -hmm. There is information that I can impart that will make it an easier watch for you. But I really want to so, see that. Yes, um, it's incredible. I highly recommend it. No going in. The entire thing is told essentially from a computer screen. Yeah. 
And occasionally Which from I think himself. is really cool. Yeah, it's a really cool conceit. The interview that I listened to, they were talking about how, like, as soon as they shot it, they knew that they had a period piece. Because yeah. the UIs um, for these oh, apps yeah. changed so fast. It's... So they, like, picked whatever the date is in the mm-hmm. movie. They went and looked for, like... Homepages of yeah. news websites and everything to make it exactly like that. So and it is it, a period. Piece. It shows because yeah. in the first ten minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. it starts with Margot being very small and yeah. it takes all the way up to present day. And in doing so, it ties it to the computer. So you mm-hmm. see Windows ninety five. You see friggin' Ask Jeeves. You see <laughs> what YouTube <laughs> looked like in two thousand five. You see Facebook in two thousand fifteen with hashtag the dress trending. Oh, like Jesus you see God. all of the and it's like little time capsules of like oh. Yeah, it's so nice. it's, uh-huh. I think it's equal parts about a family dealing with grief as it is with thrillers. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's kind of like Veronica, how it was also a family drama within the context of a horror. It's a family drama about dealing with grief in the context of a thriller. And I like that you say that because, like, when I talk later about what we're talking about today, yes. I did bring in about, like, horror as allegory. Yeah. And, like, how you can use horror for, like, deeper context about, or deeper information, deeper analysis of, like, society as a whole. Yeah. I have not been paid by searching the movie. I wish they would pay me. I accept payment in the form of leaving me alone in a room with John Cho. How did you end up getting free tickets? So, it was something that My Favorite Murder, a podcast, you might not have heard of it. It's not super mainstream. I'm just kidding. It's, like, the biggest fucking podcast. They were giving away tickets, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get tickets through their giveaway, and we were talking about it on the DC Murderino page. And one of the other DC Murderinos is like, oh, I just went to Eventbrite and got my tickets through there. And I was like, sweet! And that's how I got the two free tickets. I would have paid money to see it because, again, John Cho lives in my thirst pocket. Which, you made a Facebook status about this. I did. And tagged my friend, Julia. Because she wants me to make it happen. Hashtag thirst pocket. It's real. so So in Courtney tagging Julia. Yes. Who is, you both are my dear, dear friends, right? This is essentially searching the movie, BTS. But in tagging Julia, you then open up the status oh, no. to everyone we work with. Well, here's... Right? Yeah. So, so, I get to work. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Every, like, one of my favorite, like, mentors in my, you know, in, in the school finds both of us and goes, by the way, Sasha... What is it's a, a thirst, thirst pocket? pocket? Because I googled it and you just and get I paper got towels. paper towels. Yep, sparkle also, paper towels. <laughs> I went to Urban Dictionary and it's not even there. Nope. And I was like, nope, it's a Courtney original. Yes. <laughs> so short version, we were watching Project Runway on Hulu. We do not pay the money to Hulu so that they do commercial free because I'm a cheap bastard. One of the commercials was for sparkle paper towels, and they described themselves as being quote the one with the thirst pocket. And I believe I just go thirst pocket sounds like where you keep all the people you're thirsty for. Right. Like, you know, I'm thirsty for John Cho, Oscar Isaac, Diego Luna, etc, etc. I keep them in my thirst pocket, you know, where they're safe and warm, and then I just take them out when I need them. Thirst pocket. Yep. Make it happen. Julia was like, you have to make this happen, because I googled it. It's not on Urban Dictionary. And I was like, I know. (laughs) It's because we made it up. You heard it here first, folks. Hashtag thirst pocket. Hashtag spoop hour. (laughs) It's on the subject of spoopiness. But we do have, to ease us back in, we do have a story. I'm reading this one. I'm reading them technically out of order. This was the last one we received, but I'll get into why in a second. This is from our dear friend, Kristen. She submitted the story a while back about hearing the ghost orchestra in her super haunted-ass Rhode Island house. Yes. And she has another one, and this one made me physically retreat into my body when I read it. I can't wait. 
Freshman year of art school, a couple of friends and I snuck into the basement of one of the dorms to draw some of the pipes. Well, that's a mistake. I mean, obviously, that's, right off I, the bat, I, making like, bad choices. There's a reason I never ended up in the tunnels at our school. <laughs> yeah, and it's because fucking ghosts. Fucking and also ghosts. just generally creepy. I'd be more afraid of a murderer, but still potato, potato. Potato. The assignment was interiors. It was finals week, so we were up all night. Eventually, we walked up to the cafeteria to get a snack. When we returned, we saw something alarming. Uh-oh. My friend's drawing had been erased. No? All three feet by five feet of it. What? On the same paper, where the drawing had been, there was a charcoal drawing of a girl with long hair, in my friend's outfit, strung up by a noose. No! A perfect image of my friend. Thanks, Kristen! God damn it, Kristen! <laughs> what the fuck? You might need to level that nose. So oh, I'm 100% leveling that nose. <laughs> bust but. people's eardrums. What the fuck? I'll just make it comically quiet now. Just like really shrink it down. But yeah, I physically retreated into my body upon reading it. So thanks, Kristen. And the reason why I'm reading that one out of order is Kristen, very dear friend of ours. We have, I have known her since middle school. I believe you've known, known her since, her since high, high school. school. Yeah. She's a delightful person. Unfortunately, she has crippling agoraphobia and other mental health issues. Mm -hmm. She has been trying to raise funds for a service dog right. so that she can, you know, live her life the way she wants to live it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, service dogs are punk-ass expensive. And as we learned with Sasha's classroom, you guys are literally the best fucking people mm -hmm. because you are incredibly generous. So I would like to encourage you, we'll post the link on our Twitter, to donate to our friend Kristen's GoFundMe yes. for her service dog. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll put it out here. If you send us a screenshot of your donation to Kristen's GoFundMe, the second we get merch, which is coming soon, it is. you will get some. I will send some to you. I will enclose a personal note. You won't get to know my last name, but I'll draw you something terrible. Yeah, and actually, also, thank you to everyone who's donated to my classroom library, yes. my classroom supplies, specifically like Dr. Elisa Lucas Queen. and trying to think who else. Lindsay uh, from 33% Pulp. Queen. All Queens. Like, Jess and Melissa and you sweet babies. Jack. And then just like really anyone else who listens to our podcast, I got, I have thank you notes that I'm sending out through Amazon Aww. as soon as school starts. Cute. And I'm just like super excited yeah, for people. So, so please help out Kristen. She's so deserving of it. Yes. She's genuinely just an incredible person. Mm -hmm. And it sucks that she has been having to deal with this. So we're trying to get her over that hump and get her her little service bump. Because mm -hmm. who doesn't love a service bump? Sasha, what are we talking about today? We are talking about <laughs> school. Whoa! Oh, no, In I'm case just our bilingual introduction um, was not clear. We're actually we're on the topic of literary spoop because if you guys are just joining us somehow, <laughs> I am a high school English teacher, and when you're listening to this on Tuesday, August twenty eighth. I will be at the first day of school. Yay! <laughs> so, don't um, kill Sasha, but yay! Yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah. I I'm, I'm like pod, you were like pod, you don't have to. But pod, podcasts are uh, not a visual medium. I'm wearing my school shirt. Right oh my now. god! Now they know what now school they, you teach at. They're gonna murder you, Sasha. They no. can they can see through the microphone. They, I knew it. Huh. Oh god! Yeah, oh god! Oh god! Um, I wish I had dressed up more. But yeah, th think think of me. Oh. Wish wish me well. Wish. Um, so, I I'm worried about. <laughs> you're gonna do amazing, sweetie. I know I will, but I, I worry <laughs> nonetheless. But yeah, we're doing literary spoops. Yay. So I'm talking about Charlotte Perkins Gilman, the yes. author of the Yellow Wallpaper, Spooky. and then talking also about Edgar Allan Poe, but mostly about his 
death. Oh, when he became your problematic literary boyfriend. Exactly. He gave me hives. That's we'll talk about it. He just loves you so much. <laughs> and then who are you talking about? I am talking about the Newgate novel as yes. a concept, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to dive into Mary Shelley, the ultimate goth girlfriend. Hell yeah, her husband is something is else. But she's the ultimate goth. She's the ultimate goth. But I I just love that he dies on a ship in a storm because he was like, wow, I want to be in nature. That storm is beautiful. Let me take my boat. (laughs) I'm glad you went into that. I did not include that detail because I'm like, I don't give a fuck about this asshole. I'll just say he died. Percy Bishy Shelley. (laughs) What a Percy Bish am I, right, ladies? (laughs) (laughs) Mary Shelley is a queen. She is. She deserved better. So, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. I will kick us off. Thanks, Wikipedia, biography.com, and profilebooks.com. Nice. I use at least two of those in mine. <gasps> Twinsies. Twinsies. Are they both Wikipedia? Well, also biography.com. Biography. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Easily digestible chunks of information from the internet. All right. So, Newgate novel. What is that? What even is? Porkin. Porque no los dos? Question mark. I <laughs> cannot not speak both? Spanish. Why not both Newgate novel? <laughs> I do not speak a ton of Spanish or any Spanish novel. I, I know the cuss words. That's all I, I need. I to know. know like Porque no los dos. Yeah, and my don donde esta. Newgate novel. Starting in the 1820s, much like now, people in England were all about crime stories. Mm-hmm. Write-ups explaining the sordid deets were featured in the newspapers. People were increasingly fascinated by the stories behind the most horrible criminals of the time. This is also around the time that the term murder started to come into prominence because it was one of the first times in England that there was an organized police force. Prior to that, there were just like one-offs like, I'm the sheriff of this town. I'm the constable. I'm the constable. If you want to read more about this, a great book on the subject is called The Invention of Murder. Mm -hmm. And it just goes into the whole, before really the 1820s, it wasn't... It wasn't mm-hmm. done. You didn't yeah. have a lot of information about these crimes that were committed other than, like, what happened in your town. Mm-hmm. You didn't see those stories in the newspaper. You didn't hear about, like, really horrible shit from the other side of the world. Right. And so starting in the 1820s, people started taking more and more of an interest. Mm-hmm. And, like, with when you said that they were in, like, serials and magazines mm-hmm. and published, like, in these, like, small chunks. Little chunks. I was on a field trip two weeks ago with some, you know, preschool stuff, whatever. But we were talking about how, like, media these days, like, we have these shows that we binge watch. Mm-hmm. is basically like reading serial novels. Yeah. <laughs> like serial pieces in the 1800s. And I'll actually get into that specifically yeah. with so one I, because the author of it had a really good little quip about it. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's... People have always wanted entertainment, is the short version. At the time, we didn't have TV, so it was these trashy books. Like, the well-to-do, obviously, they didn't want anything to do with these trashy depictions of whatever. It's, uh, the same way people rail against, like, oh, why do you watch cat videos on YouTube? This generation is so uncultured. It was the same shit then, but it was about murder. Murder, most foul. Again, rise of the term murder. (laughs) Due to the popularization of the genre, because basically everybody was reading them, whether or not they were admitting they were, Newgate Prison, which was one of the biggest prisons in London at the time, it started releasing the Newgate Calendar, which was basically like your standard hot fireman calendar, only instead of hot fireman, it's like horrible crime stories. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) And from there came people writing novels and serializations. They were coined to be Newgate novels uh-huh. because they took their inspiration in the large parts from tidbits in the Newgate calendar. Mm. Newgate? No. <laughs> this crime has a creamy center. Mm. Nougat. Nougat. So Newgate would release the tidbits of like, 
this is John Smith, and he stabbed seven people in the neck. And then somebody would be like, ooh, that'd be a great fucking book. I'm going to change the name to Jake Smoth, and he's going to stab three people in the neck. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. And then that's where they came. They were explorations of crime as a genre, and they were designed to both titillate and inform. So this is, again, the same reasons why we're obsessed with true crime today this was when that kind of started in full force. I'm sure there were other iterations, but... Tiddly and Inform feels like Law & Order SVU. Thank you. I was very proud of that phrasing yeah. when I put it in my notes. <laughs> I also misspelled titillate at that point, but it was because I was still tipsy from brunch anyway. Titties. I was titties from brunch. I mean, I do have titties. They came to brunch with me. And that's all you get, you fucking pervs. Novels like... Oliver Twist featured really gruesome tales. So if you haven't read Oliver Twist or if you read it as a child and you were like, I don't like it, I took a class in college that kind of started, that sort of put a name to my interest in all of this. It was a class on the 19th century crime Crime novel. novel. Yes, Mm. great class, loved it. And we read Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist was on the syllabus. It was a book that I had never read, but I was like, Oliver Twist about the little wholesome orphan boy? Isn't this that... That's not a crime. Isn't this that Disney movie with the dogs that talk? Yeah, like, what the fuck is this about? And the cat and, like, whatever. No. So if you haven't read the book, spoilers ahead for this 200-year-old book, about three-quarters of the way through Oliver Twist... Nancy, the very kind sex worker who hangs out with Oliver and his crew, is murdered by her boyfriend slash partner slash kind of common law husband, kind of pimp, whatever. And he, like, brutally fucking murders her. So, at the time, people who were reading Oliver Twist chapter to chapter knew Charles Dickens was spinning a Newgate novel. Mm. So, they were not surprised by the horrible murder. They were like, this is what we pay for! I had no idea. Right? Crazy. Wait, he that's was crazy. He was originally like a, a serial no, Newgate no, yeah. novelist. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. And one book that was sort of a Newgate novel, the author didn't consider it such because he wrote it with a different intent in mind. It was Caleb Williams. Mm-hmm. This I know I've talked about because it made me really mad when we read it in 19th century crime novel. And it was the first thing we read. So Caleb Williams is by William Godwin, which is very confusing. And he wrote it to be a criticism of how the justice system can be bought and how the wheels are greased in a way for the wealthy that ostracizes the poor and that, Mm -hmm. you know, makes them the victims of the justice system because justice is not served unless you got them dollar bills. So the premise of Caleb Williams is that Caleb Williams is this sweet summer child from out in the country who gets a job with this rich muckety-muck as like a manservant, whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. Well, he notices that the guy he's working for is really nice most of the time, but every so often just, like, flies off the handle in a rage. Mm-hmm. And he talks to the other servants about it, like, what's what's the deal with him? Like, right. if he's taking me under his wing, what's going on? And he finds out that this guy used to have a feud with another rich dude mm-hmm. who owned, like, a similar nearby lot of property. And they got into it in a huge way. They got into a fight, whatever. And then that dude ended up brutally murdered. And the rich dude that Caleb Williams works for was brought up on charges, but was not convicted. In fact, they, actually, they might not have even brought him up on charges. There were two neighborhood kids who were, like, street toughs Mm -hmm. who ended up taking the fall for it, and they were ultimately hanged. Well, Caleb Williams is going through his master's shit, and he comes across something in a chest Mm -hmm. that convinces him, beyond a doubt, 100%, my employer killed this dude. Right. 
And so he freaks out. He's trying to play it cool because he doesn't want to let on that he knows. But his employer realizes, you're being really squirrely around me. Mm. Oh, you went into the trunk I told you not to go into, huh? And so basically the rich dude pursues Caleb Williams to the ends of the earth, ruins his life, whatever. Ends up, if I remember correctly, getting Caleb Williams thrown into jail where he ultimately dies. And this is the part of the book that made me really mad. At the end of it, Caleb Williams is like... I wish I could remember what I had seen in the trunk that made me so sure he had done it. And I'm like, that's fucking it? Mm-hmm. We're gonna, he was like, it might have been a letter, it might have been a piece of bloody clothing, it might have been a knife, I don't know. And I'm like, you ruined your fucking life over whatever was in that bullshitty trunk, and you don't remember! Oh, So, that's why that book makes me mad. So that's the basic premise of the Newgate novel, a couple prominent ones. Other really good Newgate novels, The Woman in White, not to be confused with The Woman in Black, which is a Daniel Radcliffe movie. The Woman in White, great. Lady Oddly's Secret, also great. Mm-hmm. Basically everything I read in the 19th century crime novel. So if you can go to my university and take that class, take it. It's great. Cool. So now that we're done with Newgate novel, and I kind of want to talk about, like, uh, kind of related to that, right? That you're yeah. reading these crime novels, like, as they're happening. Because yeah. people are looking to be t- titillated and informed. Who um, doesn't love being titillated? There is this great piece that I read in on NPR's website recently. So this wasn't a radio broadcast, but it's just a short piece. They yeah. have this list called, it's a special series called The Summer Reader Poll 2018 mm-hmm. Horror. Every year they do a different reader poll and they come up with the list of, like, the top 100 of something in a genre. Yeah. And so this year was horror. But Ruthana Emerus wrote this short piece called Reading Horror Can Arm Us Against a Horrifying World. Hmm. And in it, she talks really about, like, this connection of using horror as, like, allegory. Yeah. And so, like, searching, like, Veronica, mm. that, and really, like, any of the American Gothic pieces that I teach my students um, when we get to, like, Gothic, go- gothic stuff. stuff, right? Gothic. Gothic. That... Like Dr. Heidegger's experiment, mm-hmm. the Mask of the Red Death, the Yellow Ooh, Wallpaper, yeah. which I'll talk about in just a second, basically help us understand the world. Mm-hmm. We because like the terrors there help us try to make sense of the terrors that we face in real life, mm-hmm. but it also can empower us to try to find make change. So, for example, like you can condemn evil right, by, in real life, by seeing it shown through something else. So Mm -hmm. in Charlotte Perkins Gilman's Yellow Wallpaper, you see the simple psychological claustrophobia of a well-meaning relation that's deep-rooted in sexism, and also a medical Mm -hmm. field deep-rooted in sexism. Yeah. Things We Lost in the Fire by Mariana Enriquez Mm -hmm. is about Buenos Aires, in which poverty and pollution inevitably swell into risen corpses and sacrificial cults. And, you know, Carrie destroys her town in Stephen King's novel, Carrie. Yeah. Because abuse and bullying feed her frustrated teenage uh, telekinesis. Yeah. And so all these things are things that we're trying to fix in the real world, but told through the lens of horror. That did, if you don't mind me Mm -hmm. jumping in for a hot second, it did remind me of another thing we read in my incredible 19th century crime novel (laughs) class, which has a long title, but it is a pretty short read. Mm -hmm. It's not technically fiction. It does feature some... They fill in the blanks of this horrible crime. It's mm-hmm. called I, Pierre Rivier, Having Slaughtered My Mother, My Sister, and My Brother, A Case of Parricide in the 19th Century. Parricide? I don't know. Yeah. He killed his whole family. Oh, God. Except for his dad. So... So he, not patricide, at least. No. <laughs> okay. Patricide was about the only thing he did not, not do. do. So in 1835, Pierre Rivier went inside his small Normandy house with a pruning hook, mm-hmm. and he killed 
his pregnant mother, his sister, and his younger brother. Dear God. And he said he did it because his mother was a tyrant and she was torturing him and his dad and he was Mm -hmm. trying to free his dad. And then he was like, I had to kill my sister too because she was starting to act like our mom and I couldn't have that, so I had to kill her too. And then I didn't want to kill my brother, but like he saw all of it, so he had to go. And so it sort of, in the terms of, making sense of the horrible things that have in the world. This is a horrible fucking thing. If you've never seen a pruning hook, it is a giant I, fucking horror movie hook. Yeah, I don't want to And see. he killed his little baby brother, his sister, and his mom with it. His pregnant mom with it. And this is a truly horrible thing that happened in 1835. So if you are living in a small town in Normandy, because that's mm-hmm. where it happens, and you read this... Mm-hmm. It's going to fucking shatter your world. Imagine right. if we found out somebody on our block did that. Yeah. That'd like, be fuck it. Yeah. Horrible. But if we read these horrible things, it kind of almost, it doesn't prepare us for it because obviously you can't right. be prepared, but you sort of start to build up a callus so that, like, if, God forbid, anything like this happens, you're not completely blindsided. It doesn't completely shatter your yeah. worldview. You're like, sometimes these horrible fucking things happen. It helps, like, strengthen you a yes. little bit. Yes, it yeah. helps you process it. And it's interesting, because, like, Neil Gaiman, so she quotes this in the article, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Right. Right. Pierre Rivier gets caught, he goes to prison. Yeah. Good. But the interesting thing is also talking about, they, she goes in and talks about H.P. Lovecraft as well, <laughs> about how actually his... Because he, he's, like, terribly racist and Yeah, all he's that. not great. All of his monsters his are based on things that he didn't like about, about society. Certain other races. And so he... His, his world-shattering deities, she writes, are worshipped primarily by those without other means to power. Immigrants, rural folk, dark-skinned people trying to summon dreadful entities, right? Mm-hmm. His monsters are closely intertwined with mental illness and miscegenation. His works insist again and again that civilization depends on keeping such creatures both out of sight and mind. And it, she goes then into, how about recent horror movies in the last 50 years where mm-hmm. you still have fear of disabled villains or threats of quote-unquote madness and insanity, right? Or whatever other thing happens to be convenient that we, even though a lot of, there there is horror that aims to try to like cure the ills of a world, there's also horror that like harps on the it tells you what to be afraid of. It tells of. you what to be afraid of. Yeah, and, and a, so, a lot of, actually, the rise of murder, a lot of it did center on crime of people that they were trying to villainize. Mm-hmm. So, like, recent immigrants, non-white people, their crimes are going to get blown up in the papers, whereas a white dude killing his wife because he wanted to marry his mistress is maybe not going to get as much ink. Well, that still happens today. What? Yeah. Whoa! Bullshit. Bullshit. But my favorite... This is not my creamy Newgate Center. Right? Awful. (laughs) But my favorite story that, like, tackles the ills of the world is The Yellow Wallpaper (gasps) by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who is my gothic feminist queen, along with Mary Shelley. She's my American gothic feminist queen. We can have more than one more than gothic one feminist gothic feminist queen. And we do. <laughs> so, thanks to Wikipedia for this, but also thanks to just, like, my study of the... I that, That's the thing. This was, like, really hard for me to yeah. do because, like, I teach this over and yeah. over again. Like, so. citation-wise, I read Caleb Williams. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm not citing anything because I read Caleb Williams. Right. Like, I've, I studied this in high school, in college, yeah. and then now I teach it to high schoolers. 
and I've so, taught it at different levels. Thank so. you, years thank of education. You years of ah. education, I love you. Love your closest English major. Go find them, give them a hug, say you're sorry for talking all that shit. <laughs> because you are. And if you're not, sit in the corner until you think about what you've done. This has been English Major Hour. <laughs> Literally, the two of us are yes, English then every Spoiler alert, every episode is English Major Hour. Also, if you're sitting in the corner, it's one minute for every year of your age. That's my mom's rule, and that shit worked. Adventure. So, what I like about Charlotte Perkins Gilman is that she uses her role as a woman writer to write about her experience as a woman mm-hmm. in America in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, I mean, her most famous story is the yellow wallpaper because mm-hmm. it tackles her own experience with being the patient of Dr. S. Weir Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And she had depression. And we understand this now in modern days that she had depression and what she needed was like actual help, help and like actual treatment that would, you know, well, they didn't have the medicine for it back then, yeah. but treatment that would get her out and moving, mm-hmm. not keeping her inside. Not because, punishing her for being different, but being like, this is just how your brain is right now. Let's work together to get past it. Right. So basically his cure for her was called a rest cure, which basically required her to live as domestic a life as possible. God. She was forbidden to touch pen, pencil, or brush, and she was only allowed two hours of mental stimulation a day. I'd be fucking depressed. Are you kidding me? Right. When you have, and she's a writer, right? Oh. So, and she's an artist she she creates so yeah she's like give me the fucking pencil you dick limiting her you're taking away everything she can do and so she did this for about three months and she was almost desperate and she was just like you know fuck this and she goes <laughs> and works again Queen. and she writes she almost like comes to comes to a complete mental breakdown by the time yeah. she says like that you know fuck it yeah and so she ends up writing the yellow wallpaper with additions and exaggerations to illustrate her own criticism of the medical field yeah so she writes this if you haven't read it yet please do it there's some good audio versions on youtube mm-hmm. where like you get actual voice actresses reading it with the pauses because it's an epistolary style short story where everything's written in the in journal entries yes. of this anonymous woman who is you know in fact a little bit of charlotte perkins gilman yeah. just on an exaggerated version mm-hmm. And she actually sends a copy to Dr. Mitchell. Nice. And never receives a response. That's because she put a sticky note on there that said, suck my dick. And she she said, you know, this is not a story to drive people crazy, but to save people from being driven crazy. Yeah. And it worked. Apparently, Dr. Mitchell had met at some point in the future later on changed his diagnosing procedures um, and his treatment methods, but apparently as late as 16 years after Yellow Wallpaper was published, he was still, like, prescribing rest cures. So it still took him time to get there. Yeah. But she at least was able to open the eyes of other medical professionals, not just Dr. Mitchell, to be like, hey, like, you need to be doing other things. The feminist interpretation of this you see the condemnation of male control and also the 19th century medical profession. Yeah. And then, actually, you know, Charlotte Perkins Gilman herself, she divorces her husband after some point. Yeah. And that's, one, rare for the time period. Oh, absolutely. But then she also, like, dives head-on into feminist movements yes, of the time. Again, kind of hard to do in that time period, yeah. but I just love that it's like, it, yeah. it's a feminist story, but it's also horror. I will say... The horrors lo- of being a woman, because it's still <laughs> scary out there for... I will say, lady. citation of the paper that I wrote in, like, 2009 for my 19th century crime novel class. In a lot of ways, in Newgate novels, 
women were allowed to fucking exist. Mm -hmm. Like, in The Woman in White, in Lady Obli's Secret, you see women, like, almost weaponizing femininity to manipulate the men in their lives. And you have to remember, in the Victorian era, when all of this is, like, come the fuck up and people suddenly give a shit about it, women were very rarely allowed to do fucking anything. You could only see your friends on certain days. You could only see your friends if they were married or if you were both unmarried. And you can read, but you can't read too much because it'll ruin your brain and you can't go outside and you can't have a job and you can't do this and you can't do that. And so within these confines, you have these horrible Newgate novels, which like, if you're not allowed to go fucking anywhere, it's a radical act to read a fucking crime book. Yeah. And so you have these women who actually can, like, get shit done and become the prototypical feminist selves that they were always meant to be. Right. Because they can read this, they can write it, they can do horrible things. And that's why I love initiatives even now that are aiming to educate girls, like, all over the world. I mean, including, like, Malala's foundation Mm and all the work that she does. Because nothing is scarier than a knowledgeable woman, right? And, like, even within the horror community, I know our friend who was on our last episode, Augie, go listen to last week's episode and go listen to the short stories of Augie Peterson. Mm -hmm. She's a woman in horror writing. And it's just traditionally a field where you don't see women because they've been kept out of the community. Right. And the women who do write horror or suspenseful fiction sometimes write under pen names, even now. Yeah. Right? Which so, is bullshit. Which so, is bullshit. let women do what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah, talking about keep women talking doing about what, women they, fucking doing what want. they fucking want. Because we'll end with my problematic literary boyfriend. <laughs> We're going to get, like, real feministy because at the end it's just going to be all about Poe. <laughs> and it's going to be like, oh, hell Poe. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized... We haven't had a sweet on this show in like. Oh my god, we're three literally weeks. dying. Oh god. Right? Cause we, I have cinnamon roll cookies that I meant to bring downstairs. You want me to uh, run up and grab them? No, it's okay. But okay, we'll the, after. Yeah. I have, okay, so our snack for the week, we're gonna eat it when we're off the air. We promise we'll take a picture. <laughs> I made cinnamon. for the party I went to yesterday, I made cinnamon roll cookies and they were a pain in the ass, but they turned out good. Mm. But I left some of the misshapen ones behind for us to eat. Oh, good. We promise we're gonna have a snack. We're so sorry. Anyway, Mary Shelley, bitches doing what they want. I bet she loved cookies. Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin was born August 30th, 1797, a.k.a. this Thursday. So happy birthday, you goth queen. Nice. Right? That's like the second time in the last month that something's lined up with the date. Yeah, because the last one was the first attempt on Rasputin's life. Right. Like, we're getting eerily powerful. Last night when we were driving to the dumpling place, the secondary location. (laughs) Sasha, no. My, uh, Jack had Spotify on shuffle. Mm -hmm. And... The ra, 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 Rasputin came up on the radio and it was great. That song's a fucking banger. I love it. Anyway, Mary's mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, was a prominent feminist who sadly died within a month of Mary's birth. Oh, I had to read her stuff for Victorian political literature. Yeah, so she, good. Yeah, she did a vindication on the rights a of women. A vindication on the rights of women. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading that in my Britlet class yeah. and just being like, yes, yes queen, <laughs> yes, queen, yes, queen. Yes, queen intensifies. Her father was William Godwin, a political philosopher who actually wrote Caleb Williams, the thing I just talked about. Huh. Yeah, that's her dad. I didn't realize that. Wait, that's crazy. Right? I was I was planning on talking about Caleb oh, Williams right. regardless. Right, that was the thing that you didn't just, know and you just le- oh. I, Yeah, I learned today by doing my research. I was planning on talking about that book anyway. I was obviously planning on talking about Mary Shelley anyway. Did not know they were connected. That's so funny. Isn't that bananas? 
love it. Loved it. Mary was hardcore gothic from an early age. Gothic. She learned how to write her name by tracing the letters on her mother's grave. (laughs) Hardcore goth. Coming out the gate. Because, again, her mother's name was Mary. Her name was Mary. She'd visit her mom's grave. That's how she learned to write her fucking name. Because Mary did not have a formal education. She probably spent so much time, this is rampant speculation, but she probably spent so much time at her mother's grave because her stepmom wasn't great. Her father remarried the neighbor when Mary was four. The neighbor. The neighbor. You know, how you just, you're like, hey, you, what are you doing for the rest of your life when you come out your house? He did that. And she and her stepmom did not get along. Mary once referred to her as, quote, a woman I shudder to think of. (laughs) So... Right out the gates. Not an ideal woman. I get it. (laughs) Basically, Mary's father made a point of letting Mary read and write and do whatever she wanted. And I think he probably always intended for her to get an education. Because, obviously... Oh, that was the thing I forgot to mention. William Godwin said of Caleb Williams, people devoured it because they were like, holy shit, what's gonna happen next? And he said that a lot of people read in a night what it took him a year to create. (laughs) And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> I mean, like when they I binge in- read it. When I inhaled all all like four hundred ish pages of the hate you give last spring, yeah, and basically same kind of thing. Told my students work on this independent work while I sat here and read this <laughs> book. Shut up! I gotta finish it. <laughs> so yeah, I just like that. Anyway, because he was a political philosopher who wrote the book to criticize the justice system, he probably was gonna. And since he married prominent feminist Mary Wollstonecraft, he was yeah. probably down for Mary to get an education. But her stepmom was like, she doesn't need that. Her stepsister does. So we'll send her stepsister off to school. But yeah, Mary. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever. She ends up writing the first horror novel. So. Yes. Spoilers. <laughs> In 1814, when she was only 16, Mary met Percy. What a bish Shelley. Percy was a political follower of her father, and Mary was all in on this dude from the get-go. She was like, 100%, this is happening, I'm all in. I'm gonna tap that. So much so that she let him get all in to her pants. She lost her virginity to Percy on her mother's grave. Gothic. Gothic. Fucking gothic as fuck. By the way, in case you didn't know, Percy, that bish was already married. That bitch. (laughs) And again, she was fucking 16, you fucking pervert. By 1815, when she was 17, Mary was already knocked up. She and Percy bounced to France, and they spent the next year traveling Europe, but things weren't super great for them. They were ostracized from society for behaving in such scandalous ways. Again, Percy still married at this point, Mary, obviously pregnant with this man she's not married to. And they were constantly in debt because they couldn't hold down work. Because again, ostracized. Right. And ultimately, after she was prematurely born, they lost their daughter. So they were married in 1816. Happy news. Sad news. After Percy's wife committed suicide. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, because divorce was rare. So she was like, well, there's only one way out of this. Bullshit. Poor Percy, what a bish Shelley's wife. I'm glad that he died in that storm. Yes. I said it. (laughs) No regrets. He's going to hump the fuck out of us. Yeah. (laughs) We got to bust out the Ouija board. It's just Percy bish Shelley being like, WTF, but in fucking gothic. Right. 
1816 was a spooky year for Mary Shelley, even more so than all of the spooky years leading up to it. Like everything like else in her life? literally everything else she ever did. During the summer, she and Percy were vacationing in Switzerland with Lord Byron, one of Mary's stepsisters, and some other friends. Lord Byron, bear owner, Lord Baron, <laughs> Baron Byron, am I right? Ba- Baron Byron. hey <laughs> He proposed a game in which they would all write ghost stories, and Mary's went on to be a little book, it's not super mainstream, you probably haven't heard it, called Frankenstein. Frankenstein. She initially published it anonymously, and then she published it under Percy's name. So you can still actually get a copy of this book with the byline by Percy, I'm a fucking bish Shelley. <laughs> but they're rare. Like, obviously, yeah. now we mostly let her have her work. In 1822, Percy drowned while sailing. Sasha, do you want to explain the circumstances? No, he, we already said. He's yeah. just a dumb bish. He's just dumb bish. He kind of looks like a golden retriever, if you think of him, like, having... You know that portrait of him with, like, the flowing hair? Yeah. He's just, like, I a really it. pretty dumb idiot. Yeah. Yeah, he was just a pretty dumb idiot who, with his dumb idiocy, hurt a lot of people. Hurt a lot of people. Mary took the news like any goth wife would. She kept his heart in a silk purse in her desk. Gothic. Super fucking gothic. After she died of brain cancer in 1851, she was buried with the petrified heart. Goth for life. Damn. And that's Mary Shelley. Gothic queen. Gothic queen. Shit, now we have to talk about Poe. Let's bring it back down, (laughs) y'all. Let's bring it back down, y'all. Speaking of that bish. So let's talk about other problematic men <laughs> in literature. Other um, problematic I will men. say, I, like, I remember reading, so I had this great professor at JMU who's like the whole reason why I ended up becoming an English educator. Mm-hmm. And I took her a British Lit Part 2 class, mm-hmm. but I just remember, like, going through all the romantics and everything and, like, her just getting me into this idea of the romantics and... Thinking of them as a bunch of, like, just hippies, but also, like, hoity-toity. Very extra hoity-toity hippies. hippies. (laughs) And so whenever I have to teach American Gothic, since I don't get to teach the romantics at all, I'm American lit and I'm, like, a pretty rigid, like, IB thing, Mm -hmm. I do circle it back to the Brits and I talk about Percy Bishy Shelley and Byron and... I know it's Bishy. I just think he's a bish. Yeah. Uh, And... And... Keats and all of that, and I talk about the sad boy poets and the pretty boy poets and the rock <laughs> the star boy, boy poets. poets. Yeah, no, I have like a really big place in my heart for Keats. Aww, but Keats. I know. I feel sad for Keats. I know. I think about him a lot. And I, I think feel about sad for Keats him. a lot too. This has been one literary time. spoop out. <laughs> <laughs> one time I was watching Charmed. That's right, I watched Charmed with my roommate Teresa, who I think sometimes listens to this podcast. So hey, Teresa. Hi, what Teresa. Up? But. We were watching Charmed, and it was right after we learned about Keats in our writing about literature class. And it's the episode where they're talking about, well, beauty is only skin deep, and this, that, and the other. And I go, actually, beauty is a joy that lasts forever, because you're thinking of just being pretty and superficial, whatever, but true beauty is a thing that supersists. And Teresa, like, hits pause on the DVD and goes, if you're going to keep talking about Keats, we're not going to watch Charmed. And that's all you need to know about me as a person. I like Charmed, I like Keats. These things happen. Yeah. All right, so I'm not going to get too deep into, like, Edgar Allan Poe's life because I feel like a lot of us already are 
fairly familiar with it. So I'm going yeah. to be talking mostly about his death, but I just want to retell that story that I'm sure I've told on this podcast before <laughs> about like 13 months ago when I went to the Edgar Allan Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia yep. and broke out in hives. Yep. And I told you it's because you had just started dating your dude mm-hmm. and Edgar Allan Poe, your problematic literary boyfriend, was like, no, only me. Only me. Um, <laughs> so you have my permission to put some of those photos of me with my problematic literary boyfriend <laughs> on the Instagram. Yes. I, I ended up learning a little bit more in specifics because, I again, I give context of some bits of life of these authors before we talk about the story, just especially if like the the life of the author informs some of the writing. Yeah. But some of the creepy stuff that I guess I didn't like really follow up on was like his cousin Virginia. Oh. Yeah. So he doing the Rodney Dangerfield collar pull, except I'm wearing a tank top, so it doesn't work. So he was born in the early 1800s and to two professional actors. But he, they died, they both died um, before he was three years old, but luckily he was raised as a foster child of a very wealthy family in Virginia, so he moved from Massachusetts to Virginia. I think his family, the, the family that adopted him were somehow involved, like, as, like, patrons or something of oh, this nice. theater troupe. So, so they, uh, they, they took him in, like, their own. Honestly, um, if it's the 1800s and both your parents have to die, this is probably the best it's outcome It's probably for the you. best outcome. However, he was, like... You know, your stereotypical gothic emo rebellious <laughs> kid. And so he kept getting like kicked out of different boarding schools for being rebellious. Yeah. And he brought a bear. I'm just kidding. That's no, a bear that's, and Byron. Unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> and he even went to the University of Virginia. Hey. Yeah, which is not too That's far. in our state. That's in our state. Technically, it's a commonwealth. Yeah. But I think he gets kicked out of there as well. Oh. He goes to a military academy. Great. And also, I think he, oh, he gets kicked out because of lack of financial support. Basically, he just Aww. like. They're like, look, bitch. <laughs> but at you this can't point. can't keep flushing money away on your rebellion shit. Right. And a lot of his rebellion centered around he just wanted to write <laughs> stories and not do anything else. Yeah. So eventually, after his stint in the military and getting kicked out because of financial things, he moves into the home of his aunt Maria Clem and her daughter Virginia in Baltimore. So he goes from Virginia to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And in Baltimore, I've been to his grave site. It's, it's really neat. There's a, his main headstone, and then there's like a, a monument to him. Yeah. At this point, he starts getting published, yada, yada, yada. We learn all about he him. He has sex? I'm just kidding. That was a Seinfeld joke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yada, 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 yada. yeah. <laughs> he marries his cousin Virginia, who was 13 when he first... Yeah, no, when he... When he first met her, she was like seven. When he marries her, he's she's like thirteen. And at this point, he's he's a uh, what? I how old is he? Twenty something. Oh. Yeah. So when he's twenty five and she's thirteen. Oh. Yeah. So Percy Bishy Shelley and Edgar Allan Poe. They're both vicious. They're both vicious. But he he gets popular and his writing is quite admired. But after Virginia's death of tuberculosis in 1847, he, his lifelong struggle with depression and alcoholism began, began to worsen, mm-hmm. and he returned to Richmond, then goes out to a job in Philadelphia, but mm-hmm. on his way to Philadelphia, he stops in Baltimore, and that's where think, shenanigans start happening. One of the things that pops up frequently in Edgar Allan Poe's writing is the death of women. <laughs> <laughs> and then Why? just like a lot of dark themes yes. and I think ultimately the death of his biological mother mm-hmm. and then like I think his 
relation like the his relationship with his adopted mother as well i think she may have also died when he was young oh. and then like the death of his wife and basically like all the women, all the women around just him kick just keep kicking the bucket right yeah. and he already you know had his own issues so it's like you can see that as a major theme as well as all these the darkness in his stories right yes. darkness in his life interesting things i guess about poe before we get into his death one is that he's like the original balloon boy. <laughs> so if you think about oh, the balloon, no. the the balloon boy hoax in two thousand nine, in eighteen forty four, he actually beat them to it. <laughs> he in New York Sun, he cranked out a phony news item describing how a Mr. Monk Mason had flown a, a balloon flying machine called Victoria from England to Sullivan's Island, South Carolina, in seventy five hours. According to Poe's story, the balloon balloon had also hauled seven passengers across the ocean. Sure. Ultimately, people are like, what? No balloonist has ever crossed the Atlantic before. And Paul was like, no, it was so real, you guys. Also, I got a high five from an alien. It was great. Yeah. So eventually the Sun's editors were like, wait. We fucked up. I guess another crazy or like weird thing about Edgar Allan Poe is that he dabbled in cryptography. Oh. So. um, Writing fucking codes. If you've. So if he, you've done the Poe escape room at our local escape room place, that, that makes sense. That makes sense because there were yeah. codes in there. Yeah, that there makes were a sense. lot of codes. Yeah, and yeah. we had a really hard time using the Morse code thing. Yeah, no, that was like one of the the Poe experiences I had where I didn't break onto hives. Yay! He had a, like if you read some of his stories, you know that he has a working knowledge of cryptography. Uh-huh. But he was actually like really into it and so in 1839 he sent out a call for readers of his philadelphia newspaper to send him encoded messages that he could decipher amazing i so, want that as a job right and can so, i just ask people to send me codes yeah, and puzzles send, send, send me puzzles spoopower at gmail.com um so poe <laughs> they would send him those codes and he would puzzle over his secret messages for hours and then he'd publish the results of his work in a widely per- popular recurring feature and sometimes he'd also toss his own codes in there to keep readers busy. Aww. So he would, like, interact with his readers, which I thought was really cool. That's sweet. And some of the codes were so difficult that Poe professed utter amazement if even, like, a single reader cracked it. I bet one of them was the Zodiac. So, actually, he was so confident in his abilities as a cryptographer that he actually approached the Tyler administration in 1841 <gasps> to offer to work as a government code Amazing. cracker. He modestly promised, nothing intelligible can be written, which, with time, I cannot decipher. Oh. But apparently nothing like came out of that. Thanks for nothing, Tyler. Tyler. He did have a nemesis, which I thought is really funny. <laughs> Sorry. It's just the concept of people having nemesises, nemeses when nemeses. they're like normal dudes, yeah. like normal people, not like world leaders, but being like, he's my nemesis. I, I just <laughs> like that m- mental floss calls it a nemesis, right? And so this guy was named Rufus Griswold, and he was a poet, a <laughs> critic, and editor. Even though Griswold had included Poe's work in his 1842 anthology, The Poets and Poetry of America... Poe held an extremely low opinion of Griswold's intellect and literary integrity. Classy. Poe published an essay blasting Griswold's selections for the anthology and the rivalry began. <laughs> Things heated up, though, when Griswold succeeded Poe as the editor of Graham's magazine magazine at a higher salary than Poe had been pulling in. Ooh, that's a sick burn. <laughs> Poe began publicly lambasting Griswold's motivations, and he even went so far as to claim that Griswold was something of a literary homer who puffed up New England poets. <laughs> Griswold ultimately had the good fortune to outlive Poe. After Poe died, Griswold penned a mean-spirited obituary in which he claimed the writer's death will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. (laughs) 
generally portrayed Poe as an unhinged maniac. A lot of sick burns in today's episode. Like, sick literary 1800s style burns. Yeah. It was it was awful. And then Griswold ultimately convinced Poe's aunt Maria Clem to make him Poe's literary ex, uh, executor. Nice. And then Griswold published a biography of Poe that made him out to be a drug-addled drunk, and then he kept all of the profits from the book sales. <laughs> so Griswold is Fuck. also kind of a bitch. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so ultimately surrounding Edgar Allan Poe is his death. And his death is probably the most mysterious part of it. Yeah. When you think his stories mm-hmm. and then the circumstances surrounding his death. His death is as mysterious as the stories he writes. The Edgar Allan Poe Museum in Richmond had a really good fe- like feature exhibit mm-hmm. where they talk about like the chemicals that they found on his body and on the bodies of like Virginia and also other people in the era. Uh-huh. Because, you know, they had, in the time period, they didn't have a lot of working understanding of which elements on our periodic table are actually, like, deadly to people. That's true. You used to just be able to buy cyanide in the fucking pharmacy. Right, and I'm so... just gonna put mercury on my face. That seems fine. You know, like, so... You know what I love? Sucking on radium. Right. So, like, they they went in and did a study of what was found in these different caskets, and not yeah. just in Baltimore, but in, like, Richmond, in Massachusetts, kind of in the East Coast, and as well as around the world, looking at what could possibly, especially what poisons could be in people's bodies just right. from, like, daily exposure. So they were, I guess they were trying to figure out, narrow it down, like, how much of what did Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> have in his system? Which one of these kill him? I gotcha. think ultimately there wasn't anything that was like too, too different from he, other people. He just which, had a bunch of weird shit in there and then he probably which, was fine. Right. Cool. Which like other people also had in their systems. So ultimately that didn't like pan out with any like clear evidence. Amazing. But it also makes the 1800s really fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. When I was looking at that exhibit. What's I was that? Like, you have some low key arsenic in your system? That's cool. fine. I'm glad that I live in 2018. <laughs> so, like I said before, Poe was on his way to an editing job. Right? In in Philadelphia from Richmond. One of the last letters that Poe wrote was a note to the poet Miss St. Leon Loud in which she arranges to meet her in Philadelphia and edit a book of her poetry. Oh. But a week before his death, his doctor advised him not to travel. Uh Uh-oh. Apparently he was just a little bit too ill, or he appeared ill. Apparently the night before he left Richmond, his new fiancé at that point, his Virginia had had passed away at some point. Was she like 11? Ha. Ha, 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 you fucking perv. Um, her name is Elmira Shelton. She said that... <laughs> Elmira. <sorry>. Elmira. <laughs> said that Edgar appeared to be ill. And so he visited a doctor friend named John Carter, and Dr. Carter advises Poe, maybe you should stay in Richmond a few more days before you make your journey. Yeah, maybe we just take um, a breather. Right, and when Poe leaves the house, he accidentally takes Carter's cane instead. Oh. And But Carter's cane is one of those sword canes. Ooh! So that's weird. That's like a weird <laughs> that's detail. That's fucking rad. And then he like ends up, uh, he goes on his journey, right? Sure. And I think he checks in again with another doctor okay. in Maryland. The doctor asks him, where did you leave his luggage? And Poe can't remember. Oh, that's not good. And a few weeks later, after his death, his cousin found a trunk of his possessions in Baltimore and another trunk was in Richmond. His manuscripts that were in those trunks were ultimately sent to Griswold. Right. right? And then... And then Griswold was like, fuck you! Yeah, and then, like, Poe's stepsister or adopted sister and mother-in-law end up fighting over, like, the other trunks. Right. Right. That's weird that he would have two trunks. Right. And he, like, forgot one and brought the other. At home and brought the other other one. But then, like... 
couldn't remember where he put them, right? Yeah, that's weird. A couple of weird things surrounding his death. One is that four days before he was found dead, people said that they spotted him at different polling places because there was an election going on in Baltimore oh. at the same time. And he was voting not for Tyler because he didn't get to well, be a Christmas. So there was a thing back then when we talk about, you know, when people were in voter fraud all the time, <laughs> like, even though there's like Shut no up. basically like it's astronomical yes. any voter fraud in America now. Yeah. But back then they had people who actually were committing voter fraud. And well, yeah, so cause... there were gangs of people hired by campaigns mm-hmm. who would drug unsuspecting people and make them go vote in different polling places oh. over and over. They'd just like drag them around the and city. And be like, go vote. And then leave them for oh. dead in the gutter. So maybe Poe was already sick. Yeah. He and... gets abducted by one of those crews. They drug him, whatever they give him exacerbates his existing sick. Right. He drops dead. Yeah. Mm. And so there were rumors that he had been drunk and the doctors end up saying like, no, he really hadn't been heavily drinking. He had literally Um, everything else in his system except for alcohol. There was enough evidence the doctors were saying there was enough evidence to say that he wasn't drinking heavily. Find him like sick in the gutter. And People tried to take him to the doctors, but ultimately, a couple days later, he just, like, dies in a hospital. When he's in the hospital, he has, like, no memory of, like, what happened to him. He can't yeah. explain anything. He's just kind of, like, losing kind his mind. Just totally out of it. Ugh. Ultimately, even though a lot of people come to see him lying in state, people came to see him as, like, the kind of spectacle oh, right? that Poe's yeah. dead, and a lot of people were actually, like taking locks of his hair. That sounds about right. Um, and the Poe Museum in Richmond does have locks of his hair, which Gross. is... I, 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 you know, it, it's, it's the thing. Like, we, I we get talk, it. We, we've talked about this before on this podcast. Like, keeping a lock of someone's hair in that time... That was or just what you did. sewing it into a piece of embroidery or something was something that you did. Right? Yeah. I think that's weird. Like, it, it is call a me a weird. cynic, but I'm more about, like, holding onto someone's petrified heart. <laughs> Sasha has no words. I have no words. Um, but even though people like came, you know, in, throughout Baltimore came to see him, his body. Yeah. Ultimately, only seven people attended his funeral. His oh. cousins hastily buried him the next day, oh. and an observer called the ceremony as cold-blooded and unchristian-like. Shit. Sounds like a Poe story. One of the attendees said, was later quoted saying about Poe, I didn't have anything to do with him when he was alive and I don't want to have anything to do with him after his death. Shit. Yeah. So, 40 years after his death, the woman who he was supposed to marry Mm -hmm. um, ends up being buried next to him and... He oh. was buried in unmarked grave. Was she dead, I'm assuming? Or did I think, they yeah, bury yeah. her alive? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, they move her to back from New York to Baltimore. Poe had been married, buried in an unmarked grave. Oh. Um, but 11 years later, a cousin had paid for a monument, but the stone was destroyed by a train that crashed into the stone carver's shop. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I know. That's Again, so everything everything surrounding Poe's death is like he wrote it himself. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Right? 26 years, so that's 11 years after his death. So 26 Shit. years after his po- Poe's death, mm-hmm. teachers and students raised the money for a proper monument, which Aww. was placed in honor next to the cemetery gate. I feel like you would have done that if you were alive at the time. Yeah, I would have helped contribute to that You were like negative 100, but still. Right. And while it was being moved to a new location... 
they dug up Poe's... Bar- they kn- knew that there was an unmarked grave with his body in it. It yeah. had initially been his grandfather's burial plot, so mm. even though it didn't have his name on it, they knew it was, like, part of that family. Oh. Poe's coffin ends up breaking. <laughs> oh! And reveals what was left of Poe's remain. Nothing? No, no. Oh. Just, like, just, just like this pile of bodies. bodies. Damn it. Um, I was trying to make it more mysterious. I was like, it broke and there was nothing in there? So they, they <laughs> move him into a more solid coffin and bury him with, like, the proper monument burying. Oh, Again, you can good. go see this in Baltimore. But pieces of the coffin are now collector's items. I don't know how you'd prove it, but supposedly there was one of his female admirers who fashioned his coffin, like, the piece of wood, yeah. into a cross to wear around her neck. Oh, such so, a romance. I guess my favorite part of, like, Poe's death and, like, literally his, everything. his, like, continued, like, spooky storiness, like, yeah. into the future. In the 1860s, the medium Lizzie Doten published some poetry that she claimed had been dictated to her by Poe's ghost. Ooh, I would read the shit out of that. His fiance who was after Virginia's death but before he engaged was engaged to Elmira shit he so went through a lot of he went through some girls had actually hired a medium to move in with her because she thought Poe's spirit was trying to communicate with her too and she's like it's over Poe just want this medium to communicate that to him can and this then- medium communicate to us via Ouija board I have questions. But yeah, so like that there was a poet slash medium who was like, I'm dictating poetry from Poe's ghost. Amazing. Like just, he he could have written that story. I love it. You know? And you can get to Richmond. The Edgar Allan Poe Museum is a really cool little museum. It's built in a historic building and it's actually a series of historic buildings on the corner of a block. And so all the architecture is really cool, but then just like in general, the artifacts that they have that they've collected over time mm-hmm. from people is just like top notch. Nice. Also, apparently, Bal- Baltimore also has a lot of ground post stuff. Obviously, yeah. Um, there's a restaurant I really want to go to called Annabelle Lee. Oh yeah, so, we talked about it yeah. A bit. So um, so I'll report back to, with that if I ever yeah. end up yeah, there. Go there. Yeah. We need to book our ghost tour for our anniversary. We do. For that's anniversary. coming up. Yeah. Yay! All right. Well, this has been probably when I'm done editing still a little bit more than an hour of spoop but we hope that you got English majored the shit out of yeah and we hope that you are living your best gothic feminist queen life wish me luck (laughs) give Sasha good wishes for the first day of school we'll post the link to our friend Kristen's GoFundMe uh, we'll po- we'll share the link to that NPR article too about horror yes I really really enjoyed that yes so thank you for listening and supporting us as denizens of spoopiness even though we were afraid of everything We're women breaking the glass ceiling of terror. (laughs) We are Double Issue, a weekly superhero fiction podcast. Is that like an audio drama? Only sort of. Some weeks we read short stories set to sound effects and music. And the rest of the time? Mostly BSing. Oh, brainstorming? That's right. We talk and come up with new ideas and characters to use in those stories. Characters like Amy Dangerous, Broadband and Dialogue, Itchival, Moonglow, Thorn, Captain Havoc, Double Take, Clepsamine, Aster, Echo, Cyberwolf, Paladin, Rimmer, Battle Maiden, Aqualine, Miss Mist, Werewolf, Spellbinder, Lady Luck, Hildy the Hunter, Guardian Guard, The Immortal Reggie, Sparkplug, Sid Slaughter, Shadow Doom, Boulder Shark, Cup Hands, and many more. So join us every Monday at doubleissue.show or wherever you get your podcasts do you hear that i heard that i think it's oh okay it's the cat playing with something oh christ <laughs> something spooky <laughs> happened to me this week please We're gonna... put that at the end i'm episode. putting that at the end <laughs> did you hear that did you hear that i heard that i did not like that i don't bit. either Whew.
So, again, spoilers for this 200-year-old book. Boyfriend, husband, whatever. He murders her. Mm-hmm. Pretty gruesomely. He just fucking kills her. I'm sorry. This is gonna drive me bananas. What, what is she, she playing doing? with? If it's an eyeball, I'm gonna flip my shit. Is it a pumpkin? Oh, uh, 